Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 55 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. I'm grateful that you've chosen to give me some of your time today. So what are we discussing on this episode? We're playing with words and taking a look at phrases related to games and playing. Just in case this is your first time here, after we finish with our playful phrases, we'll have today's familiar quotation and for better or for words, love advice from old-timey times. Then, after the outro, stick around for Let Me Rephrase, where you can hear me mess stuff up. And if after all that you want some bonus stuff, check out my Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes. Now lace up your cleats and do some stretches, because it's time to find out today's phrases, origins, history, and more. First up is the idiom, a cat and mouse game. In a literal sense, this is defined as a contrived action involving constant pursuit, near captures, and repeated escapes. Idiomatically, it's used to describe a contest or competition that seems unending and or one where the advantage keeps going back and forth between the competitors. The idea behind it is that cats are known to play with their prey, drawing out the demise of their future meal or their trophy to present to their owner. The saying itself is thought to have found its way into the vernacular around 1675, but the idea behind it goes way, way back. I mean, technically, it could go all the way back to whenever cats first chased a mouse. But since no one knows exactly when that was, we'll go with the more accepted starting place, which happens to be China in the 14th century BC. To be exact, the Chinese zodiac calendar. Here's a paraphrased version of a story that goes along with this ancient calendar. Cat and rat used to be best buddies. They heard about a great race across a river and decided to compete. They prepped and planned, and finally, the day of the race arrived. Cat wanted to take a nap before the race since he knew it would be hard and tiring. Rat wanted nothing more than to win the race, though, and so when it was time to go, instead of waking up his buddy, Rat went on without Cat and managed to win. Once Cat woke up ready to go and found out that the race was already over and his so-called friend had left him behind, Cat became both devastated and furious. He chased after Rat in his angry despair, and ever since then cats have chased rats, and they've remained enemies ever since. So, from this old-timey time story about cats chasing rats because of a game, we have this saying, or at least the idea behind it. With that story of betrayal behind us, let's look ahead so we can keep our eye on the ball. To keep your eye on the ball means to stay focused. And this may not surprise you, but this one is believed to have come from sports. Many people think it came from baseball, and if you've ever played or watched baseball or softball, then you know that it is indeed quite important to keep your eye on the ball. 
Now, before I continue, I should mention that some people think that this idiom just comes from sports in general, especially ones like cricket, golf, soccer, etc. Ones that use a ball that you must watch constantly. Even so, it is most often attributed to baseball. However, before baseball was called baseball, it was called rounders, and it first shows up with that name in 18th century England. Yes, that's right, toppers. America's pastime actually got its start across the pond. While it's almost certain that people have been hitting balls with sticks for a long, long time, in 1744, a book for children was published that proves this game was the real deal. In 1744, an English publisher named John Newberry wrote a book. And yes, that's the guy the Newberry Award is named after. He's thought to be the first person to produce literature meant solely for children. The book we're talking about from 1744 was called A Little Pretty Pocket Book, intended for the amusement of Little Master Tommy and Pretty Miss Polly. Which, if you ask me, seems like a much longer title than a children's book should have. But he's the one with an award named after him, so what do I know? <laughs> anyway, in this book, there was a picture labeled Baseball, which showed men playing the game and had a little poem that read quote, The ball, once stuck off, away flies the boy to the next destined post, and then home with joy. End quote. As for the actual saying being used in print, people tend to reference the book Ernest Bracebridge, written by English novelist William Kingston in 1864. The phrase appears in a scene where some boys are playing rounders. Quote, Ellis seized the bat with a convulsive clutch, remembering Ernest's advice. He kept his eye on the ball and hit it so fairly that he sent it flying away to a considerable distance. Capital, cried Ernest. Run, run. Two bases at least. End quote. Even though it wasn't exclusively called baseball yet, this first use in print with similar terminology to the game of baseball is why most people associate this idiom with baseball more than other sports. Now let's shift gears a bit and get behind the eight ball. To be behind the eight ball means you're in an uncomfortable or difficult situation. This one is an American born term dated back to the early 20th century. It's thought to have come from pool, which probably seems obvious since that's the game you use an eight ball in. However, it's specifically believed to come from the version of pool called Kelly Pool. This version of the game basically consists of 2 to 15 players being randomly assigned a number that corresponds with a ball on the table. Like regular pool, you could keep hitting as long as you sank a ball, but the first one to get their numbered ball in a pocket would win, so people with high numbers didn't win as often as those with low numbers. It became common to say that being behind the eight ball meant it was difficult to win. Because eight people had the chance to hit the balls around and win before you ever got a chance to make a shot. As for why the difficult ball became the eighth, not the tenth or the seventh, or any other, well, there's a lot of speculation. 
Likely, it's because the eight ball sort of marked the halfway point of the game. But some people think it's a combination of this idea and the later iteration of the game, eight ball. Either way, the first known idiomatic use in print is found in 1929. It was in a December edition of the Wisconsin newspaper, the Sheboygan Press. The article was talking about Bill McKechnie, the manager of the Boston Braves. It read, quote, Bill figures he can finish behind the eight ball with any kind of a ball team, so there's no harm in trying out young talent, as there's nothing to lose beyond last place. End quote. So this saying's origins are a little ambiguous, but it definitely came from Poole in the early 20th century, even if no one seems to know the exact details. Now, let's throw in the towel. To throw in the towel means to give up, typically because continuing means experiencing something uncomfortable or painful. This saying is easy to pin down because we know exactly where it came from. Boxing. If a boxer is taking too hard of a beating and the people in his corner want the fight to stop, they can throw in a towel to signal the wish to surrender the fight. However, it wasn't always a towel. Before towel throwing became common, they used to throw a sponge. This practice goes back to at least the mid-19th century, because we find a description of it in the slang dictionary from 1860, which defined it as, quote, to throw up the sponge to submit, give over the struggle, from the practice of throwing up the sponge used to cleanse the combatants' faces at a prize fight, as a signal that the mill is concluded. End quote. By the turn of the 20th century, people were throwing towels instead of sponges. In a July 1900 edition of the Kalgoorlie Western Argus, a newspaper from Kalgoorlie, Australia, we find this in an article titled Boxing. Quote, the final was particularly interesting, both King and Sullivan evidently intending to arrive at the actual result as quickly as possible. King's left hand, however, met his opponent time after time, and nearing the end of the second round, Sullivan was beaten out, his second throwing in the towel. End quote. It didn't take long for this idiom to go from a literal action to an idiomatic phrase, because we find it used this way only three years later. In a 1903 edition of the Sunday Times, a UK newspaper, we find, quote, Teetotal Smith, our great mayor, goes about looking much depressed since the poll, and is, I suspect, half inclined to throw in the towel. End quote. That's all I got for this one, since it's relatively straightforward. So now it's time for today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. Today's metaphor is the domino effect. This refers to a single event that leads to a succession of similar events. Now, many people attribute this saying to President Dwight D. Eisenhower, and while it did come about because of something he said, he didn't actually coin the exact phrase. It came about through, well, a domino effect. During the Cold War, President Eisenhower gave a news conference on April 7th of 1954. A journalist named Robert Richards asked this question about Indochina, 
Quote, Mr. President, would you mind commenting on the strategic importance of Indochina for the free world? I think there has been, across the country, some lack of understanding on just what it means to us. End quote. Eisenhower replied, quote, You have, of course, both the specific and the general when you talk about such things. First of all, you have the specific value of a locality in its production of materials that the world needs. Then you have the possibility that many human beings pass under a dictatorship that is inimical to the free world. Finally, you have broader considerations that might follow what you would call the falling domino principle. You have a row of dominoes set up, you knock over the first one, and what will happen to the last one is the certainty that it will go over very quickly. So you could have a beginning of a disintegration that would have the most profound influences. End quote. Journalists ended up referring to his wording of the falling domino principle as the domino theory, and this later became the domino effect. So while Eisenhower didn't technically invent the saying, he definitely knocked over the first domino in the path that led to it. And with that, let's move on to today's familiar quotation. Toppers, today's familiar quotation is from a good buddy of the show, Benjamin Franklin. Here's what he had to say about how to stay young at heart. Quote, We do not stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. Thank you, Mr. Franklin, for giving us today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, now it's time for today's For Better or For Words, Love Advice from Old Timey Times. As always, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't be surprised if you have married for money or position or fame that you get only money or position or fame. Love cannot be bought. And now for the men. Don't throw cigar ends into the bowl of water your wife keeps in front of the gas fire. They are not ornamental and she will not be pleased. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 55. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, how to send me topic suggestions, how to support the podcast, and for details about the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, play on. Toodaloo!
And now... This is... Let me rephrase. The idea behind it is the cats are un... Nope. They prepped and planned, and finally the day of the rice... <laughs> rice. And they've remained enemies ever... Oh, excuse me. The phrase appears in a scene where some boys are blaming... Oh, nope. This first use in print with similar tech... With similar tech... Nope. Like regular pule... <laughs> the article was... What the heck did I type? The article was talking about Bill McKinney. McKechnie? That's probably McKechnie. Okay. In a July 1900 edition of the... Ca oh, okay. Calgory. Calgory. I might. It's Calgory. We'll go with Calgory. 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 Now, many people attribute this to... Nope. A journalist named Robert Richards asked this question about Indo... Indo mm -mm -mm. Then you have the possibility that many human beings pass under a dictatorship that is inimical, 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 inimical. Then you have the possibility that many human beings pass under a dictatorship that is. I just figured out how to say this. In, inimical, inimical, inimical. Under a dictatorship that is. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to do a whole episode where I don't say something wrong. Actually, no. That that's never going to happen. 